on the earth. For a phantom of night that has no hollow. For one that lieth dead in the desert. For a ghost unburied. For a demon or a ghoul. Whatever thou be until thou art removed. Thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to another week, another episode of Scared to Death, Creeps and Peepers. Thanks for listening or watching on YouTube. I'm Dan. Hi, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, hello. Lindsay is, Lindsay is wounded a little bit today. Yes, yeah, so let's just address it right now. If you see me fidgeting in my seat in a weird way, I took a nasty fall on a hike with our kids, and we were going downhill, and my the it was rocky and loose, and my feet went out from underneath me, and I landed whammy on my tailbone. So I'm currently sitting on a hernia pillow. Uh <laughs> But, like, I'm in a very strategically placed position, and hopefully it stays comfortable. But if you see me kind of like, ugh, it's, it's either the story or <laughs> it's my ass on fire. And so she can, she can still tell stories, so that's good. Yeah. She can still tell the my stories. So I, I guess. She'll power through. She'll power through. Yeah, it's going to be rough. Uh, thank you for the continued ratings and reviews online. We do really appreciate those, and we do notice those. So they've uh, they've been coming in steady lately, which is awesome to see. Yay. So appreciate that. And uh, super do. cool. Oh, go ahead. I said we do. We do appreciate it. And we have a cool merch announcement, uh, a dark princess tee in the store, and a new uh, dark princess jigsaw puzzle in two different sizes. I love that we have a puzzle now. Well, yeah, because what else are you going to fucking do right now? <laughs> now is the time to do puzzles. True. True. It's puzzle time. So yeah. we, we have that at badmagicmerch.com. And also scared to death phone cases. Uh, do- over a dozen different models. iPhones, Androids. So you can check those out. Hard cases with rubber plates for creeps and peepers. Yay. So that's exciting. I and, know. I'm going to get one. And at the uh, at the end of today's episode, I'm going to talk really quick about uh, kind of a weird confirmation for a paranormal <gasps> thing I had oh, a while back. Yeah, I forgot. I was doing promotion for the new stand-up special, this Get Out of Here Devil, and I was on the Jason Ellis show on SiriusXM, and Michael Tully, uh, co-host of that show... I told him about this experience at the Rainbow Room, you know, just a just a little thing, this weird thing with this faucet in this bathroom, like that seemed to have turned on by itself. And then I, you know, talked to the waitress about it at this uh, at this bar restaurant, and then she brought up before I said faucet. Oh, was it the faucet? Just a weird little series of events kind of spooked me. I tell this story on the Jason Ellis show, and then Michael Tully Instagram messages me uh, messages me. Uh, or DMs me, I guess, uh, <laughs> whatever you're supposed to say, uh, a little bit later and said that a friend reached out to him who was listening to the show, a writer friend of his in L.A. That guy had the exact same experience in the Rainbow Room. And so, so him and crazy. I messaged, and super weird. He had the, It's like the same exact thing in that same place, and he was like, what the hell? Like it spooked him to hear my story, and then talking to him spooked me. So, I, I mean, that's pretty much the story. I pretty much I told, but I'll tell it in a little more detail at the end. Thanks for giving it all away. <laughs> well, like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll explain the actual event, yeah. which I didn't do, but yeah. And the whole the whole kit and caboodle. So how many stories do you have today? How many I listener have stories? two. Okay. And our first story has a picture today, which you know, always like. I love those. I know it's not always an option because, yeah. you know, you're telling a story from your childhood or what have you, but man, I this photo, heek. Some okay. of you may have seen it before. Okay. Okay. Like it's, it is a photograph that has possibly been seen, but... Yikes! It really 
Okay. Hung on to me. Okay, so we got uh, some good my stories coming in. Yep, don't care for it. And then uh, my two, the first, a creepy bit of a uh, folklore, urban legend coming in from, from uh, either Mexico or New Mexico, possibly both, where okay. this originated. Most sources say New Mexico. It's the legend of La Mala uh, Ora, the evil hour, also known as the evil one. It's an entity you do not want to encounter if you are driving across Mexico or New Mexico at night, if you don't want to either die or have someone you love die. Okay. Well, cool. So uh, that is uh, La Mala Ora. Maybe and it's a good place to go if you want like your ex-boyfriend to die. Maybe. Oh. Maybe. Twisty. Maybe. Twisty. And then after that, uh, we're going to talk about one of the most famous paranormal entities we've talked about here on the show, the Bell Witch. Oh, dear. So we've got numerous requests to tell the uh, early 19th century Tennessee tale of a malicious, spiteful spirit rumored to have antagonized the Bell family for many years and uh, antagonized many other people. The Bell Witch. No, thanks. So you ready for the first story? There's really no setup. Yeah, well, I just, um, let me just, very strategically, I'm wearing a dress today. So here's my socks today. This is a repeat performance because... You know, we're not out in the world. I don't have any new fuzzy socks. (laughs) So there's that. And I'm going to strategically get cozied up over here and hope that I don't mess up my butt position. Okay. 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 Carrie. Okay. I'll start telling the story. Please do, Dan. So time now for the legend of La Mala Ora. The legend of La Mala Ora uh, comes from the folklore of both Mexico and New Mexico. The name means the evil hour. This entity, also known as the evil one, also known as the evil doer. La Mala Ora is said to be a wicked spirit or evil demon that wanders the lonely country roads of southern New Mexico, northern Mexico after midnight, terrorizing those specifically who travel alone. It usually lurks in the darkness at a crossroads, waiting for an unwary traveler to cross its path. It first appears as a large, black, floating lump, an orb constantly moving, fluctuating in size and shape. Anyone unfortunate enough to set eyes on whatever this thing is runs the risk of being driven insane. It tries to hypnotize and paralyze anyone who happens to encounter it. Uh, When it attacks, La Mala Ora suddenly rushes towards its victim, enveloping and suffocating them. The following morning, they're often found dead on the side of the road. Other times, the black ball transforms into a wicked woman. She appears wearing black clothing, her hair long and unkempt. She's like a spirit floating along without touching the ground with her feet alongside the road. People in New Mexico say that she seldom appears in human form, but when she does, she's usually considered to be a death omen. And again, she, you know, in human form usually appears at a crossroads, and when you see her, it means that you or somebody you know is about to die. And according to one story of an encounter with La Mala Ora, there was a woman, Marita, who lived just outside of Santa Fe, whose husband was away on business. One night, she decided to go visit a friend in town. It was just after midnight when she left her house, and she drove down a lonely, deserted highway. After a while, she approached a small crossroads, when suddenly a dark shape appeared in front of her car. Marita screamed and slammed on her brakes, screeching her car to a halt. When she looked up again, the dark shape had totally disappeared, and she breathed a sigh of relief. Totally. But then when she made a right turn at the intersection, she saw something that almost gave her a heart attack. Suddenly, right beside her window to her left, looking in at her, was a hideous old lady. The woman had the twisted face of a demon, glowing red eyes, short pointed teeth. Then this demonic lady, this angry spirit, began clawing frantically at the window, trying to break the glass. Hit the gas! Get the fuck out! Terrified, Marita Marita did hit the gas, sped off down the road. Impossibly, for a few terrible moments, this creature ran alongside Marita's car, still clawing at her window, still seemingly trying to get in. 
Then when the car finally began to outpace this entity, Marita looked in her rearview mirror and, so strange, saw the demon growing taller and taller until she was as large as a tree. When Marita reached her friend's house, she ran inside, locked the door behind her. She explained what she had seen at the crossroads, and her friend gasped in horror. Oh, no. It must have been La Mala Ora, said her friend, the evil one. They say she only appears at a crossroads when someone is about to die. When her friend said this, Marita was immediately overcome by a feeling of dread and impending doom. Oh, no. Oh, no. She couldn't sleep that night. She was too scared to return home and risk encountering that demonic lady again in the dark. The next morning, she did drive home. She took care not to pass by that crossroads again. She pulled up to her house. There was a police car waiting in her driveway. Some officers approached her, asked her name, and broke the terrible news. Her husband had been mugged on the way back to his hotel the night before when he was away on work. During the mugging, he was shot in the head and killed. He died just after midnight, just after Marita had been chased by the Lamala Ora. That's the legend. So just interesting, weird, little creepy legend that appears in little nooks and crannies on the web, shows up on a bunch of lists. I don't care for that at all. Also, like, we are going to see some family. Mm -hmm. And drive down a lonely highway. Yep. Every time we go see your folks, I'm like, oh, God, is this when it happens? Is this when it happens? (laughs) Are we going to see it? I thought we were going to get abducted by aliens last time. Now we have to worry about this uh, weird roadside entity i mean well, it, it, it's geographically specific this legend so it's interesting that way so i guess we're never going to santa fe <laughs> i've never been so that's why i'm still alive uh here's a, here's an illustration of what this thing is supposed to look like okay uh, it's creepy oh uh, I, th- I thought she'd have a scarier face than that but you know there is a, a variety of depictions yeah well just so she said some, like a, like old, a mangled old woman. Mm-hmm. old woman unkempt hair yeah yeah that looks a little okay but still don't that's what comes up usually with the okay. uh with the uh story mm. on the web next <laughs> next is the uh just a picture of you know where you might see her this is just a lonely new mexico highway at night that's so beautiful mm-hmm. which would also really fuck you up because it'd be such a stark contrast right right, right. Here's another depiction of what this thing may look like. Again, you know, it varies. Okay, you're lying. <laughs> That's not it. That is a weird, creepy clown-looking thing. That just came up when I was looking for it. What if that thing popped, you know? Well, I'd up? be even more fucking scared. Would you rather see the old la- the lady? Old lady or the psychotic clown? <sighs> okay, old lady makes me think there's some merit to this. Like, mm. feels like it could be ghost entity, not right. of this world. Clown fucker. <laughs> I'd be more worried about the clown because that's a real thing that's going to try and kill you. I would say that's probably a real person dressed up who's lost their mind. Right. There's a lot of meth in New Mexico, right? Isn't that where Breaking Bad takes place? Yeah, I think there's a lot of meth everywhere, but also in New Mexico, yeah. Hello, just go with it, okay? Okay. Okay. Breaking Bad, you're right. Breaking Bad, meth, clown, meth clown. <laughs> I'm more scared of the clown. La Mala Ora or meth clown? Meth clown is going to kill me, so I'll take her. I'm more scared of meth clown, too. Yeah. Also, why the fuck was she leaving her house at midnight to go to her friend's house? That is not logical. Who knows? Like, when you're out of town for work, I'm never like, hey, friend, it's midnight. Can I come over? Maybe she works swing shift. And so does her friend? No. I don't know. But she works swing shift, and then, you know, she she doesn't get off till, I don't know, 11. But she said no. You said she left her house at midnight. Right. She gets off at 11, and she has to get her shit together. Just get ready, and then she goes and sees her friend. Why does she have to go get ready if she's going to see her friend? Okay, then she gets off at midnight. Fine. I'm just, she works the four to midnight shift. Are you happy now? No. Because then she wouldn't be at home at midnight. I'm just saying that something about it is fishy. What okay. was she up to with her friend? Mm-hmm. 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 She having yeah. an affair? Maybe. Doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't I say. Just, maybe that's the punishment. <laughs> okay, so that's, so that's a loosely defined 
uh, story, you know, out there on the web. This next one is uh, has been talked about a lot more. Okay, yeah, yeah. I know that we've gotten a lot of email requests, like people are like, "Hey, can you tell Dan to do the Bell Witch?" Mm-hmm. So here and, it is. And I don't know anything about the Bell Witch. This is what's so great about this show. Most yeah. I'm such a scaredy cat, so a lot of these things I just don't even know them. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like I've heard them in peripheral conversations yeah. where I'm like, "No, no, 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 no." I've heard of this because of time sucked. We got requests for. I mean, it's you know. It's a pr- pretty known story, especially down in the South. Uh, yeah, I've heard about it for, for a couple years. Mm-hmm. Where does it take? Oh, Tennessee. Tennessee. Because, you know, I love, like, I'm obsessed with New Orleans. Mm-hmm. So when you tell stories from New Orleans, it terrifies me that I'm, I can't live my dream of retiring in New Orleans. Oh, well, there's way more scary stories around in New Orleans than there is in Tennessee. <laughs> okay, so let's, uh, let's get into this. There's some setup here. Uh, when many think of witches, most, I would argue, think of the Halloween costume variety. The most traditional Halloween costumes based on the appearance of the Wicked Witch of the West from right. 1929 film The Wizard of Oz. You know, one with green skin riding around cackling on a broomstick. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, my pretty. Many others may think of old-timey real witches, you know, quote-unquote real. People accused of being an actual witch in vari- various historical witch trials, commonplace in Europe until the 17th century, even crossing the Atlantic with some women and some men actually mm-hmm. being hanged for being witches in places like Salem, Massachusetts in 1693. And still others think of the more modern version of witchcraft, you know, uh, witches being a, a type of pagan spiritualist, someone with a strong knowledge of traditional medicine and herbs, belief in the power of various forms of nature. Odds are very few people seem to think of a witch as being a member of the undead, something living in the world of spirits. But for Tennessee's Bell family in the early 19th century, that's exactly the kind of witch they believe they encountered. In 1817... Tennessee was still a remote and wild area in the young United States. It was part of the American West, like uh, uh, and like many other men of his time and social standing, North Carolinian, I think that's how you say that, John Bell, Sounds right. was looking for opportunity and cheap land in the West, and he would find that much more. John was born in Halifax County, North Carolina, in 1750, grew up in neighboring Edgecombe County. In 1782, he married Lucy Williams, daughter of a local farmer, also living in the same county. With a little seed money from John's parents and a dowry from Lucy's, the couple bought a farm nearby, and they were quite successful. Over the next two decades, they became wealthy and had a reputation for being good, upstanding people. They also had children. Uh, By 1804, the family consisted of John and Lucy and their nine children. Jesse John Jr., uh, Drury, Benjamin, Esther, Zadok, Elizabeth, a.k.a. Betsy, Richard, and Joel. And none of them talked about witches. None of them believed they were haunted by some undead entity when they were out there in North Carolina. And then in 1805, they sold their farm and embarked on a journey over treacherous mountains to an area nicknamed the Barren Plains. Why move when life was going so well in North Carolina? No one knows exactly. Maybe they just didn't want to live and die in the same few familiar square miles of dirt. Maybe they identified a lot of possible opportunity for their children in the unsettled lands of Tennessee. Fortunes to be possibly made, farming, influence to gain. For the first dozen years, the Bell's family fortunes in Tennessee were good. They were successful farmers, again, more successful than they'd been in North Carolina. Their farm consisted of 320 acres of rich farmland that laid along the Red River. They were members of the Red River Baptist Church, where John quickly became a deacon, well-liked by most of their neighbors. Their older children grew up, got married, and moved out of the family home to start families of their own. And then in 1817, something changed. The Bell family began reporting being plagued by events they couldn't fully understand. They suddenly felt they were being attacked by something evil. Time now for the legend of the Bell Witch. 
It began simply with a little knocking. A tap, tap, tap would sometimes be heard against the living room window. Something outside that couldn't be seen out in the dark of the Tennessee wilderness that was perhaps now looking in. Just a few taps here and there, and then when attention was drawn to the noise, it would go away. Sometimes this occasional mysterious knocking could be heard on the front door as well. A member of the Bell household would open the door and look out in the rural black night. A darkness hard to imagine if you've never lived way, way out in the country. And nothing would be there. At least nothing that could be seen. One can imagine the Bell family members staring out into the void, wondering if the source of the knocking was just out of sight. Standing silently out in the darkness, staring back at them. This knocking soon began to appear more frequently and emanate from different portions of the Bell home. Sometimes family members would hear this strange knock, knock, knock coming from within the walls of the home at night. What could be knocking from inside the walls? One of the youngest Bell children, Richard, just six years old, would lay awake in bed and listen to these knocking sounds, too frightened to sleep. Knocking was irregular and would come from all over his room. He'd hear a tap come from his window and then another would come from across the room, still another from right behind his head. Sometimes in such quick succession, it felt like more than one creature had to have been making all the noise. How bizarre. Richard would bury his face in his mattress and plug his ears, but he could still hear it. And after hearing this knocking for several nights in a row, he started to hear something else, whispering. He would swear something in the corner of the room was whispering to him. He didn't tell his parents at first. He was worried they wouldn't believe him. He didn't tell the brothers he shared a room with either. They didn't seem to hear what he was hearing. They tell him he was imagining it all, so he tried to ignore it. But it got harder and harder to ignore. The whispering became constant. The knocking occurred nightly, and then soon, he felt little tugs on his hair and sheets as he lay in his bed. Mm -mm. He began to dread the end of each and every day and began to get in trouble for putting off going to bed. Terrified that once he returned to his bedroom, the torment would start all over again. Luckily for Richard... He wouldn't have to bear the burden of this torment alone for much longer. A few weeks after Little Richard's haunting began, his father saw something when he was in the living room, smoking his pipe alone. Everyone else had gone to bed and John was content to sit by the fire and relax until this something rushed by outside the window, a shadowy shape fleeing just past the corner of his vision. He stood up and walked to the window and squinted, not sure he'd seen anything. It was dark out, but after a few moments, he saw it. He could see it clearly now, a black shape, maybe a hundred feet away that looked like, he didn't know, maybe a dog? John knew that wild dogs didn't come close to homes in the area unless they had rabies, so he grabbed his gun, went out to the porch, and he fired on the creature. He was a good shot, he was sure that he'd hit it, but he heard no yelp, no sounds of a creature falling down or limping away, and now he couldn't see it anymore. Instead, before his very eyes, this dog, or whatever it was, simply disappeared. What the hell? It was there definitely when he fired, and then it wasn't there when the gun smoke cleared. It had simply vanished. John rubbed his eyes and went back to bed. Surely he figured he was just imagining things. That he must have just not gotten enough sleep the night before. Soon John would realize that he was far from alone in his household when it came to experiencing the unexplainable. On a Sunday night a few weeks later, a noise started up in the boys' room that was heard by all four of the Bell Boys this time. All four shared a room. John and Drury slept in one bed. Joel and Richard slept in another. And what they heard sounded like a rat gnawing at one of the bedposts. John and Drury got up to kill the rat, but the moment they climbed out of bed, the noise stopped. 
It wouldn't be uncommon for a rat to scurry away at the sound of them getting up, but as the boys examined the bedpost, they found that there were no marks on it. Nothing had been gnawing on their bed. So what did they hear? The boys returned to bed, and then the noise started back up again, immediately. This continued for what felt like several hours. Every little while, the boys would get out of bed, search their room, looking in every nook and corner for the rat, and find nothing. They'd lay back down, and the noise would start back up. It was maddening. Not only could they not find the rat, they couldn't even find a hole the rat could use to get into their room. The boys could not, for the life of them, figure out what was going on. And then, when the noise finally stopped... They heard their sister Betsy scream from down the hall. Oh no. The boys rushed to her room to find her standing on top of her bed, yelling when they came in, There's a rat in here! (gasps) The boys looked in their sister's room, but again found nothing. When they finally all went back to bed, none of them could sleep. Over the next few nights, the gnawing sound returned in the boys' room and in their sister's room. Now it was accompanied by a scratching sound like a dog clawing on the floor. Was it trying to get in or was it trying to get out? As they lay in the dark, the noises would grow louder and louder until the children knew for certain whatever they heard, it wasn't a rat, it wasn't a dog, it was bigger, it was stronger. They ended up searching the entire house, examining every room for droppings or a hole or some sign that an animal had gotten inside. The more they searched, the more paranormal activity they seemed to experience. Laying in bed at night, now unseen hands began to rip off their sheets. Hell no. Whatever had originally taunted little Richard was now revealing itself to all of them. The boys began to sometimes hear a soft sound, like lips smacking together. Then a gulping sound, like someone choking or strangling. Sometimes it would sound like it was coming from right next to one of the boys' ears. And throughout these new paranormal occurrences, the gnawing sound never stopped. Scratching was still being heard, scratching and chewing something near them as they slept. But what? Sometimes they also heard heavy sounds like stones falling, footsteps, chains being dragged across the floor, chairs falling over. Whenever Betsy or any of the boys or their parents looked for the sources of these sounds, they would find nothing. No stones, no chains, no chair, no rat, or any other living creature. But the sounds continued. And then the children figured out that whatever was behind these sounds could answer them. If they asked a question that had a numerical answer, they would get the correct response. Ugh. Their father, John, or John, asked one evening, how many horses do we have to prove this? And he heard 12 distinct knocks, one for every horse they had. Get the fuck out! John knew that something other than a member of his family or one of his servants was now living in this house with them. He just didn't know what to do to get rid of it. Leave. But he had to figure something out. This thing didn't appear interested in leaving them alone anytime soon. So he asked a neighbor, a very religious and spiritual man named James Johnson, to come to the house one night, hoping James would also hear it and have some idea of what they should do with it. Mr. Johnson heard all kinds of sounds the night he came over. Sounds witnesses described as someone sucking air through their teeth. The sounds of lips smacking, scratching, gnawing. And he didn't think any of these sounds came from an animal. He cried in the name of the Lord, what or who are you? He cried this when the noises got so loud that the family could barely hear each other talk. What do you want? Why are you here? And the house immediately fell silent. Whatever was harassing the Bell family made it clear that it did not have to answer to the demands of the the living. Later that night, whatever was inside the Bell home ripped the bedsheets off of every member of the Bell family at the exact time of 2 a.m. The torment was escalating. The family woke up, got their sheets off the floor. And then when they looked out the window, they saw light like a candle or a lamp flitting across the yard through the field. What? Was whatever had just thrown the sheets from all of their beds now moving through the forest outside their home? Did it want them to see it? 
The next day, when John and his boys walked out into the field, they'd watched the light disappear into something attacked them. What? A sudden barrage of chunks of wood and stones fell on the path in front of them, wooden stones that had come from nowhere. Shortly after this incident, the entity haunting the Bell family that had initially focused on the Bell boys now shifted the majority of its attention to their father and sister. Night after night, John Bell and Betsy would feel their bed covers being ripped off their bodies. And then on some occasions, when the bed covers would lift, a weight would suddenly appear beside them, pushing down into their mattresses. <sighs> the feeling of someone climbing into their beds and lying next to them. Oh, God. Someone they couldn't see. Even more concerning, John now to began, began to be afflicted by strange bouts of facial paralysis. During the day, John would open his mouth to say something only to feel like someone had suddenly glued his jaw shut. His tongue was heavy and couldn't move. He could only gesture until the paralysis passed. And it would pass, but then it would come back, freezing the lower half of his face. During the winter of 1818, now 12-year-old Betsy could barely fall asleep before she felt hands tickling her under her nightgown. If she tried to defend herself, the tickling would turn into slaps and pinches. My God. Often when she would undress in the morning, she'd find deep purple bruises across her legs. One night, when the neighbor Mr. Johnson returned to once more confront whatever entity was harassing the Bell family, while he was standing in Betsy's bedroom, he asked again, Who are you? What do you want? And this time... The spirit decided to answer him. Oh, dear. He and the Bell family heard a disembodied female voice reply, I am a spirit. I was once very happy, but have been disturbed. And then after this answer, all the candles in the house went out at once. Oh, God. And the Bells and Mr. Johnson were plunged into total darkness. A short time later, this entity began to disturb not just the Bells, but others who lived near them. What? Whenever it was leaving the Bells alone, it was victimizing some other poor soul or souls. It seemed to particularly dislike some of the Bell family's slaves. When a slave named Dean tried to enter the house, the spirit paralyzed him and beat him with invisible blows to the head and stomach. Oh my God! After this attack, Dean began to be very afraid to go out at night because every time he did, he now also saw a large black dog. <gasps> sometimes dog. with two heads, sometimes with no head at all. Sometimes this dog not only seemed to see him, but to also chase him. Dean's wife was convinced his spirit was a witch. It's, it's possible that she gave this creature its nickname. There was another possibility I'll mention later. She made her husband, Dean, a witch ball filled with items that protected him, she thought, from this entity. And he began to carry this with him everywhere he went and also an axe with him everywhere he went. Smart. The Bell Witch, as it began to be called, also didn't seem to care for James Johnson, the man who tried to speak with it. After, Miss John after Mr. Johnson, or Johnston in some sources, confronted for the second time, it haunted the Johnson house for over two weeks. Wow. Just as it had in the bell house, the witch made strange sounds at night. And then it took it a step further and started mimicking the voices of different Johnson family members. James heard his wife calling from him in the back of the house, only to arrive and see that not only was she not in the back of their home, she wasn't home at all. Oh, God. Uh, everybody after, move. After a few weeks, the entity started to leave them alone, and then Mr. Johnson never returned to the bell home to provoke the spirit again. The Bells, the Johnsons, some of the Bells' slaves weren't the only people who claimed to have witnessed the spirit. Once an Englishman passing through the Bell farm uh, spoke of some of his overseas family members. And when he did this, the entity began to perfectly mimic his English parents. Get the fuck out. Early the next morning, this Englishman had a dream that his parents were worried about him. They were worried because they just heard his voice from thousands of miles away. This visitor, months later, wrote a letter to the Bell family saying that he'd found out from his parents that this entity had indeed seemed to have visited his family in England that day. 
The witch didn't seem to be bound by the normal laws of space and time. She also seemed to be able to manipulate the behavior of living creatures. Some traveling shakers came upon the Bell's house one day and made a rudimentary camp in their backyard, and the witch didn't like this. Oh, boy. The Bell's three dogs that had always been sweet and obedient, now were snarling, raging beasts. One latched on to one of the Shaker's arms, wouldn't let go until John shot at it. Oh my god. The Shaker's packed up and never returned. On another occasion, a neighbor and family friend, William Porter, was laying in bed one night after a long day when he felt the presence of the Bell Witch. He was woken one night by the feeling of his sheet being pulled back, and then he felt a weight settling down in bed next to him, pressing into the mattress, a smothering kind of heat, and then he grabbed onto... Something. He claimed to have grabbed onto the Bell Witch and actually felt an invisible physical form. He would state that he wrestled with it, falling out of bed. He ended up rolling around with this thing on the floor near the fireplace in his room. What? He shouted, Damn it, why won't you die? And then he could feel the entity's stinking breath and immense weight down upon him, and he could no longer wrestle back. He was paralyzed, he lost feeling in his limbs, and eventually when he crumpled onto the floor in front of the fire, the entity just vanished. While the Bell Witch took brief breaks to antagonize those around the Bell family, people like William Porter, and always seemed to return to the Bell home and continue to torture mainly Father John and daughter Betsy. One spring day, Betsy was walking down a narrow path near the home when she saw a young woman in a green dress sitting high up in a tree. Betsy thought it might have been one of her neighbors or even one of her brothers fooling around until the woman pulled her dark hair back from her face and Betsy saw a cruel, wicked-looking woman flash a sickening grin. Uh. She knew it was the Bell Witch. Don't marry him, the <gasps> Bell Witch said and then vanished. What? Betsy knew exactly who she was referring to. She was engaged at the time to her childhood sweetheart, Joshua Gardner. And the Bell Witch apparently did not care for him. Whenever jo Joshua visited the house, rocks would fall from nowhere and pelt him. Anything he tried to drink would turn bitter. When he tried to touch Betsy romantically in any way, the house would be filled with the rotten, stinking smell. Eventually, Betsy postponed her wedding with Joshua, hoping it would convince the entity to leave her and Joshua alone, but the Bell Witch was just getting started. After a particularly terrible summer night, when the entity had been torturing them for over eight months, God. Betsy wrote in her diary, When the spirit became so tantalizing, filling my mind with horror and causing me to become so nervous, my parents often sent me to a neighbor's to rest for a night. My first night away from home was spent with Feeny Thorne. When we retired there, came a loud knocking on outside, outside the door which seemed to fly open, and a great gust of wind was felt. Oh, dear. Thene sprang up at once and lit a candle. To our surprise, the door was not open. Then a voice spoke softly, Betsy, you should know to not have come over here. You know I can follow you anywhere. <gasps> now get a good night's sleep. Oh, my God. And then she suddenly felt a hand touch her cheek, and then everything went black as she lost consciousness. Oh, my God. The Bell Witch's constant torment was destroying Betsy. The family saw their youngest daughter, the one everyone thought of as a sweet and devoted young woman, began to turn pale and sickly, more so by the day. In a desperate attempt to get the spirit to leave her alone, Betsy called off her wedding to Joshua entirely. But the witch still wasn't satisfied. Friends and family tried to give Betsy some relief from the torture. A family friend named Frank Miles promised to protect her and told her one night at the Bell home with a big smile, Come sit by me, little sister. Nothing will bother you while I am here. Huh. When Betsy did as he asked, she and Frank and others present heard a breathy voice demand, Go home. You can do no good here. Oh, God. Then Betsy felt a slap on her leg, saw a red mark beginning to spread on her thigh. Jesus. Frank stood up and raged, and the entity pushed a large 200-plus man over as if he were a ragdoll. Betsy did eventually escape the Bell Witch's torment. She married her former school teacher, Richard Powell, 
and in 1824 they settled nearby in what would become the little town of Cedar Hill. And the Bell Witch must have approved of her new husband, for she was no longer haunted. Weird. With Betsy gone, the entity turned all of its attention back to John Bell, who was now 70 years old. The spirit attacked him, much like it had attacked Betsy, but more aggressively, slapping him, poking him, digging into his skin until it bled and bruised. Ugh. The entity threatened him, whispering as, it would as he would tell people that he would not see the age of 71. And he wouldn't. Oh, no. One morning when his son, John Jr., walked to his father's medicine cabinet, instead of seeing the three medications, medications he usually gave his father, he saw a jar instead filled with a black, smoky liquid. When he touched the jar, he heard the voice, It's useless for you to try to relieve old Jack. I gave him a big dose when he was fast asleep. What? What does that mean? The voice was right. John Bell was dead. What the fuck? A few days later, at the funeral, everyone had gathered to honor John's, John's life and put him to rest. But when the pastor got up to speak, there was a cackling sound. And then everyone heard a creepy, inhuman, and unseen voice singing. With women and wine, I defy every care. For life without these is a bubble of air. Life without these is a bubble of air, each helping the other, in pleasure I roll, and a new flow of spirits enlivens my soul. Each helping the other, in pleasure I roll, and a new flow of spirits enlivens my soul. Every time the pastor tried to deliver the eulogy, the entity would shout out another drinking song of the time, each what? one more lewd than the last, until it was shrieking obscenities. Damn you, it screamed! Damn you, he's dead! I've won! With John Bell cold in the ground, the haunting of the Bell family ceased. What? The entity, the witch, the spirit had gotten what it wanted, but it would be seen again. Some think that former president Andrew Jackson gave the entity its name. According to this legend, Jackson owned property on the Red River, desired to visit the Bell farm after hearing some of these stories. One of his wagons became stuck by an unseen force and could not be moved, despite whipping the horses, examining the wheels, and having it pushed by the men in his party. He exclaimed, By the eternal, boys, this is the witch. And then Jackson and his men heard a voice reply from thin air, All right, General, let the wagon move on. I'll see you again tonight. Yeah. The wagon started on its own accord as though it had never been stopped, and they continued on their journey. That evening, when the men made camp, a soldier who claimed to be a witch slayer or witch hunter said he had a silver bullet and regaled the men with tales of hunting witches across America. And Jackson whispered to a colleague, I'll bet this fellow is an errant coward. By the Eternals, I'll, I do wish this thing would come. I want to see him run. And then suddenly, there was a the sound of light footsteps near their fire, and a voice out of the thin air again stated, All right, General. I'm on hand and ready for business. Oh the soldier, God. who described himself as the witch hunter, was then struck by an unseen force. He fled from the tent. The witch exclaimed, How the devil did run and beg. I'll bet he won't come here again with his old horse pistol to shoot me. I guess that's fun enough for tonight, General. You can go to bed now. I will come tomorrow night and show you another rascal in this crowd. Jackson was allegedly eager to stay, but his party had had enough, and he returned to Nashville shortly thereafter. Another legend states that the witch was the spirit of a neighbor of the Bells, Kate Batts, a woman who apparently got into some type of feud with John Bell shortly after the family arrived, a woman who died not long after their quarrel, and a woman considered a witch in life by other Robertson <coughs> County neighbors. <coughs> Following the death of John Bell, sightings of the witch became very infrequent. After John had been dead for about a year, the witch wasn't heard from. Uh, for uh, The witch came back and said it would return in seven years. 
And then it would return again every seven years after that. Just leave. Just go away. Lucy, Richard, and Joel, Belle claimed that the witch did return in February of 1828. Why did you stay? Like it had before, it announced its presence with clawing and gnawing sounds of the night disturbing their beds. But soon after it returned, it did vanish again. And if it continued to return every seven years after this, there are no records to accompany its additional hauntings. Most of the modern sightings of the Bell Witch are now associated with the cave near the site of the old Bell Farm. The Bell Witch Cave, now in the U.S. National Register of Historic Places, explorers have estimated this cave runs 15 miles underground. Numerous visitors have reported hearing a woman's voice come from deep within the cave. They've also witnessed a shadowy, human-like form in and around the cave. I'm not going in that fucking cave. Some think whatever this witch is or was, it came from this cave and may still live inside it. Most present-day inhabitants of Roberts County, Tennessee, claim to not be bothered by the Bell Witch. But when they hear strange sounds in the night, do they just blame it on the house settling? On rats? Or do they worry that the Bell Witch might be coming back? Dude. That's the Bell Witch story. Why did they stay there? I think back then it would be tougher because... I know, I know. I had that thought too. Not a lot of houses on the market. I didn't want to give out a lot of get the fucks out because I'm like, well, they had their farm. They had nine kids. Like it was, even though they were wealthy, like it's not like, oh, we're just going to buy a house in the development. There's not like a contractor living down the street. Right. Like it's very difficult to move in those times. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean... But still. So here we do have a a variety of things for this one. The first one is uh, a sketch of Betsy Bell. So the girl, you know, tormented the most by by the witch there. Okay, fine, whatevs. So that's Betsy. Uh, Hi, and then, Betsy. And then this is the Bell Witch Cabin. It's the last remaining structure from the original Bell Plantation. Uh, well, that you could you wait, could so visit. So nine people lived in there. Uh, I yeah, I think it, I think it was nine kids, but but I don't know that by the time they got there, that all of them were still living. I think all of them were still living so in the home. Tiny. Yeah, tiny. Well, there was uh, there was there were other um, structures. Okay, okay. Uh, on so the home. like, my God. Because like, because here, here's here's actually a photo of the, uh, where they all live together. This is a 1909 photo of the original home. Oh, okay. I was yeah. like, that's not. That was a little cabin on the property. Yeah. And then this, and then this structure is no longer there. And then uh, this is a depiction. There's several uh, illustrations of that's the uh, William Porter's wrestling match okay. with the witch, supposedly. All right. And then, yeah. Then this next one is the cave. It does seem like a pretty cool cave. I mean, it goes way in there. Not fucking going in there. No and, way. No way. And then we have one picture of inside the cave. It is. If. It goes back and back and back. And then <laughs> that's just, uh, that's some, I don't know if it's a kid or something visiting the cave or what that is. That's just what, those kind of things you see in caves all the time. You're an idiot. <laughs> it's a little creepy cave boy. Um, that cave, there's no way I'm going in that cave. No way. I, because if that thing I mean, exists. I would, I would go in with a group. Nope. If that thing exists, I feel like it could close you in the cave. If that, but, but that, there hasn't been any reports of that I don't ever care. happening now. Well, there were never any reports of the Bell Witch until there was the Bell Witch. That's a preposterous argument. I would, I would, you would never go in that cave? Fuck no. If you hadn't heard that cave was haunted, would you go in an equally big cave? No. I, the caves in general. Caves are I, creepy. Well, they're creepy. And also, like I do just, um, remember when we went to visit the Galena Mine? Yeah, yeah. And you're mm-hmm. like underground. And even that, you know, I mean, this is infrastructure, things holding it up like it's m- meant for people to be in there sure. working. The whole time you're just like. Don't collapse, don't collapse, don't exactly. collapse. Exactly. <laughs> because that's yeah. a real thing that can happen. And it does happen. So it's oh. like you just suffocate. What a terrible tragedy. Because that, that has happened to many, death. many a miner over throughout history where a mine collapses. And then the people on the wrong side of the collapsed portion of the mine just stuck in there waiting for their oxygen to run out. Yep. Yeek. 
just stuck in like a, I mean, you know, buried alive, essentially. Yeah. Man, tough, tough, tough. No, thank you. So caves just in general, there's even some hikes that like we go on with the kids. Well, even mm-hmm. just like that little teeny tiny cave when we did Mineral Ridge. Yeah, the tiny, tiny, tiny Tiny, like two probably, feet. Probably went, probably went back, yeah, 10, 10, 12 feet. Two, two feet, two feet, 12 feet. Mm-hmm. Still, I was like, uh-uh, careful yeah. in there. And it just dead, dead ends. It's not even a... It's not a natural cave. It's a yeah. It's not a tunnel. It's like it's just mm-hmm. such a. It's like a carved out like a little mining thing. Yeah, an example of a mining thing. It's not even real. Right. I mean, right. they they put it there. Yeah, they 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 did it to demonstrate uh, mining technique. Yeah. 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 My butt's Eek. doing okay. Another that's good. Nose. Okay. Uh, I, I found um, a comfortable position. Well, that's good. Yeah. So lucky your butt's for, all right, <sighs> buddy. Let me tell you, it's rough. Um. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, I'm ready. do you have your squishy squishy? I do. Okay. So I prepped these stories like a week ago. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I remember them, but I'm also like, oh God, I'm going to get scared all over again. Oh. Eek. Eep. Um, so I don't entirely know where this story comes from location-wise. Okay. But the story is uh, from a cop, which, you know, I always kind of like say this, but like anybody who has a very clinical kind of job, Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a psychiatrist, if you're a police officer, I just feel like you have a more critical mind. Yeah. So stories like this just always kind of get me because I'm like, you're not the right. person who's supposed to believe in this. You're you, like, you're supposed to be the person who's telling me this couldn't possibly ever happen. Yeah, odds are you're more analytical because that, I mean, that, I don't think you would last very long as a cop if you were constantly. It's so weird to hear a cop car go by right know, now I'm outside like, as we're talking about, like on cue That's, this is not a sound effect here yeah if you guys um, hear that that was so <laughs> if, you, if you hear it yeah <clears throat> excuse me but yeah yeah i mean odds are you have a pretty analytical mind because you're probably not gonna last as long as a cop if you're constantly coming back to your sergeant or whatever and just saying like yeah it's probably a ghost yeah yeah or probably like a monster, probably a monster you know, I, just, I just felt like he didn't commit the crime right you know he just doesn't he doesn't look like the kind of guy it's like that's not gonna work solved another case it was encrypted oh my god okay so here we go. Hello, Suckmaster Fresh and Her <laughs> Majesty's Suckiness. I've recently gotten into both Time Suck, and due to the drunk suck, I'm now into Scared to Death. Yes. Yay! Thank That's you. nice to hear. Yeah. Both are great. I almost died laughing when someone knocked on the door during the killer in the attic. Oh, yes. Yes. Pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Got us pretty good. Anyway, sorry in advance, as this is a bit of a long story, and I'm typing it on my phone. It may not be scary, but I certainly think it will interest you both. So I have been a police officer for about three years now, and in order to become a police officer, you must pass a physical, a physical test, and multiple written tests, oral boards, attend the police academy, and pass a psychological evaluation, amongst other things. There's really only one psychologist in my area certified to conduct the psych eval according to the state. Basically, the doctor asks you a whole bunch of questions about a myriad of things. I was going through the process of getting my first law enforcement job and was at the psych eval stage. When the psychologist asked me if I had ever had trouble sleeping, I said, no, not really, not any more than anyone else, I suppose, although I have had sleep paralysis before, you know, not being able to move and the shadow figure in the corner and all of that. Mm -hmm. The doctor immediately sat back in his chair and said, really, tell me a little bit more about that. I thought, great, I'm in a psyche val, and now I'm explaining imaginary figures to the psychologist. This is going super well. So I explained the incident to the doctor, but for the story, here's a little bit of background. When I was a kid, I was always terrified of aliens. I totally get it. 
Probably because I watched Mel Gibson in Sides, I know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at a way too young age. I was terrified, and I used to lie in the dirt. I, I used to lie in the direct middle of my bed, completely still, until I fell asleep. And even then, I would have the same reoccurring nightmares. Sometimes in the nightmares, I'd be kidnapped by a dark figure dressed in all black, and I would scream, but nothing would come out. Other times, I would see aliens and chase them, yelling for help, but no one would come. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to high school. I'm in my friend's basement spending the night. We're watching an alien documentary when he asks, when he says he has to take a leak. So he gets up and heads to the bathroom. The documentary, the documentary began talking about a book and how the cover of the book has been known to be extremely frightening to those who say they have experienced aliens. I was not prepared for the cover. When they showed the cover of the book, I was struck with so much fear and anxiety that I've never felt before. I had never seen the cover before, but I felt fear and panic rush over me like the drawing of the alien on the book was looking directly at me. I actually got up and had to leave the room. I was that scared. I told my friend that I had to take a leak after him, and that's why I was waiting outside the bathroom door, not because I was scared to be alone with the picture on the screen. We slept in the basement that night. There were two couches at a 90-degree angle, and we each slept with our heads towards the meeting point. I was turned facing a wall with a a window leading outside. Mm -hmm. I was fast asleep when I suddenly woke up. For some reason, I felt that fear all over again, just like when I saw that book cover. I opened my eyes and locked onto a tall, slim, dark figure standing in the corner of the room next to the window. It was staring right at me. I couldn't make out a face, but I could feel it staring at me. Mm -hmm. I was terrified. Then I realized that there was another at the end of the couch where my head was. I could feel it looking at me, staring at me. I felt so much terror that I thought I was literally going to die, like I was in real serious danger. I was too scared to look up at the figure above my head and just kept staring at the one in the corner, standing motionless. I then began screaming my friend's name, but I couldn't make a sound. I tried harder and harder to yell for him to wake up. Slowly, my voice, starting at a whisper, got louder and louder until I was all out screaming for him to wake up. He woke up and the figures were gone. I explained to him everything, the paralysis, the figures, how I was terrified. I'm not sure if he didn't believe me or or was so tired that he didn't care, but he sat up, looked around, and then went back to sleep. I did not sleep anymore that night. So after explaining this to the psychologist, he asked, Did you have any blood or scoop marks on your body that you noticed? What? A little shocked by the obvious change in the line of questioning and his sudden interest in the topic, I said, uh, no, not that I remember. Why? Is that normal with sleep paralysis? Mm -hmm. The doctor said, well, that's a story for another day. He then quickly moved on with the evaluation. Part of the evaluation is an online test that has hundreds of questions on it. He happened to have a shitty internet connection and said that he couldn't get it to work. He asked if I would be okay with coming back and trying again another day. It was the next day or a few days later that I went back in. As he was setting up the test, I brought up the fact that it was another day and I'd like to have that conversation now. Uh huh. He got quiet and serious and said, fine, what I'm going to show you has to stay between us. This does not leave this office. He left the room and came back with an identification card with his name on it that said, uh, MUFON, M-U-F-O-N, UFO Investigator. It looked very official. He said that that when I mentioned the shadow figures in the corner, it piqued his interest and he may have wanted to investigate more. I wanted to ask about all the reoccurring dreams and the book cover 
But remember, I was still trying to pass my evaluation and get a job. So basically, I kept it brief, expressing how I thought it was interesting, and left it at that. Mm -hmm. I ended up passing the evaluation, obviously a cop, three years later, and have been plagued by sleep paralysis only once since. I always found it fascinating that my story piqued his interest so much that he would discuss being a UFO investigator while conducting a psychological evaluation. Listening to Time Suck, sh- uh, listening to Time Suck shadow people and scared to death about the alien abduction, I'm not quite sure what I experienced. I hope you like this story, all 100% true, and also attaching a picture of the book cover. It still creeps me out and sends shivers down my spine to this day. Keep up what you're doing. Catching up on these great podcasts makes these slow nights due to Rona bearable. Mm-hmm. I did have to leave a dark parking lot after the shadow uh. people won, and that creeped me the fuck out. Stay safe. Jeff. Oh, thanks, Jeff. So weird, right? So, okay, before we see the picture. Yeah. So the the, the guy giving him the psychological evaluation yeah. for to become a police officer. So a psychologist. Psychologist. Psychologist uh, so, or psychiatrist. So either a licensed psychologist or a psychiatrist hired by the police force to give these evaluations. Right. So so theoretically the most Analytical pretty person, cre- yeah, pretty credible. Like, you the, the, would think this isn't some just like random, because uh, it's not you and me giving the eval. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's and it's not somebody because you know some people will throw around the term counselor, but they don't actually have any accreditation. You sure, know, like that. sure. But They'll that, be like, I'm a life coach, right? But that person right. wouldn't be hired by the no. uh, you know the the police. Uh, I'm trying to think of the right word. Police branch. force. Yeah, the force there. Yeah, to, to give these kind of tests out. I would hope not. Yeah, I don't see that. And then that person's asking him about these sleep paralysis things and seeing like the weird marks. What do you say? A scoop. Yes, yeah, scoop mark. I'm like, what a is a scoop, scoop mark? mark? And then, and then MUFON. I can't think of what that acronym stands for, but that's a. That's I can't a, remember. It's a. Uh, it's been around a long time, right? And it's basically like the most credible national or maybe even international organization for UFO sightings, right? For extra, you know, uh, terrestrial stuff. And to be clear, the psychologist was not asking him like if he'd ever had any weird, out of body, extraterrestrial experiences. He simply asked him, "Do you have trouble sleeping?" And right. when you think about a police officer and all of like uh, the night shifts, I'm sure when you first start working, and sure. you know, like you're under an extreme amount of stress in that job. So I'm sure that they were just yeah. making sure that he was a stable guy you know that he wasn't going to be like abusing drugs to sleep or 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 this uh psychologist psychiatrist saw a weird mark on him that struck him as odd because of his mufon experience and that's why he asked him the question if you know if he thinks that all he said was do you have a do you have a hard time sleeping like there's hundreds of questions Uh, yeah yeah he didn't say like yeah, yeah, it's weird though. All when you put it all together, it's very strange. Very strange. I know. So not traditionally scary story, but definitely freaked well, me out. I think it, sometimes stories like that are more scary to me because yeah. they're they they lend credence to the whole gamut of you know extraterrestrial abduction tales. Well, I mean, I agree. And the the, the um, yeah. Pas- Pasca Pascagoula, I think, is it such a weird word down there that when we did the Pascagoula abduction a while back, was that and, the kid? That was the um, the two people fishing on the on the river oh, down there. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of the kid driving in his small that was hometown. Brandon Davis, I believe, in Minnesota. I think. Yeah, so many stories. Well, about. I just try and block but, them out because. But, it, but it, when you but when you look at it, when you stand back and look at all of it, mm-hmm. the more things we hear like this, the more I'm like, ah, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. So what's this okay. picture? Okay, so let's uh, Zach. Let's get the picture of the book. Oh God, bless America. That alien face freaks me out. I can't look at it. Communion, a true story. I haven't read it. I haven't read Communion. Oh, man. I've not read. I'm pretty sure there was a movie done that that I also didn't see. I want to say maybe Jodie Foster. I don't know. But anyway, that that is a picture you you see on the web. But yeah, those eyes. It's so creepy. So dark. 
So can you imagine like you see you're at a friend's house for sleepover. You're right. young. You're right. You're in high school. So you're what? 14, 15, yeah. 16, right? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're hanging mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Uh, your buddy goes to the bathroom. This picture pops up on the alien documentary that you're watching. And then that night you have sleep paralysis. Right. And he claims that he saw a figure in the corner and a yeah. figure by his head. And then years later, a psychologist asks you. With the weird marking. Well, he doesn't ask him if he had, he didn't notice a marking. He asked, did oh, yeah, you yeah, notice yeah, a marking yeah, on yeah, yourself yeah. afterwards? Mm-hmm. But still, is it gone? Oh my God. Zach, make it go away. Thank you. Yikes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I did not. Ooh, that, that clung in my subconscious for days after I mm-hmm. read it. Like I just was kind of like, oh, uh. did not like it. <laughs> Oh, okay. So more on the like slightly more paranormal vibe. Yeah. Okay. From a, an, an anonymous space lizard. Okay. Um, uh, and these terms, by the way, if you're like, if, if so, I oh, yeah. feel like people listening with like the master sucker space, that comes from time suck and the space lizard is a, uh, another podcast that offshoots from time suck. So if you're like, what the hell is space yeah, lizard? Yeah, yeah. Time suck is yeah. Dan's podcast. And then, uh, the secret suck is the Patreon mm-hmm. bonus. Uh, True. What do you call it? Companion piece. Mm-hmm. So for so for the there there we go for the space lizards, you get it. You get <laughs> yeah. it or you don't. Yeah. Okay. So there we have it. Okay. Are we ready? Yeah. Okay. Hey Dan and Lindsay, loyal space lizard here. Just enjoying my goosebumps from listening to the podcast at work. I have a story that I never shared with anyone other than the person I experienced it with and my wife. I refrained from sending it to the Time Suck podcast against my better judgment. It is one hundred percent true. No drugs or alcohol were involved whatsoever. (laughs) Okay. I was 24 at the time. Okay. 24, no drugs or alcohol. Okay. In mid-February 2008, Mm -hmm. I embarked on a road trip from Puyallup, Washington to Fort Campbell, Kentucky with my friend Gisanthopus. And he says, nod to Louie. Okay. Must be an inside joke. Mm Mm-hmm. He had joined the service and would be stationed there for the next four years at least. We stopped off the Oregon coast on the first night to visit some of his family and then begin the journey south. This particular winter was incredibly cold and we didn't want to chance going over the passes in the northern Mm. states. We entered California in the darkness, taking turns driving and sleeping along the way so that we were both well rested and looking forward to the sunrise views over the mountain pass of Shasta. Mm -hmm. Gisanthopus was driving through the 10F Pass. I distinctly remember this as the digital display. I'm sorry. He was driving through the negative 10 Fahrenheit pass. I just realized what oh, I said. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was like, I, was like, I, I, just, I just thought it was a pass I didn't know, but I'm like, okay, 10 F pass. Yeah, okay, I get no, you now. Yeah. I've read this story multiple times, and every time I'm like, the what? Okay. Gisanthopus was driving through the negative 10 degrees Fahrenheit pass. I distinctly remember this as the digital display on the center mm-hmm. console was steady on this number for what felt like hours through the climb. Through through desolation. You and I have driven over that pass. We have? Mm-hmm. When you were about the U-Haul up coming up from California. Oh, sweet Lord. Uh, we, we drove over that pass late at night, too. It was Very- right before we got the hotel in uh, Grants Pass, Oregon. Oh, my God. It was really yep. creepy. Yep. Okay, well... Very, so just I just know the setting. It's very dark. That pass, yeah, especially at night. You know, it's like uh, heavy forest on either side uh-huh, of you. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's very creepy mm-hmm. at night. Oh, no. It was the kind of cold where a smoker, me, would snuff out their cigarette halfway through the stop, uh, halfway through to stop the sting of the frigid rushing air whistling through a slightly cracked window. We were a great distance from the last structure we had seen and noticed a great drop in the temperature. The readout suddenly read negative 15 degrees Fahrenheit. 
The blasting heater of the small SUV was no match for the cold piercing through the windows anymore. Smoking was clearly out of the question unless I wanted to spend it defending my decision to my freezing comrade. The frozen wasteland was clear and the darkness of night was burning away by the peaking sunrise. Simultaneously, we both spotted something very peculiar along the roadside. Mind you, this was in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. and exposure to the elements this far out from any direction would be either a suicide mission or some insane eccentric hiker. There were no signs of life other than the three fires that we were staring at in amazement. Jesanthropist broke the, silent, the silence and said, Are you seeing this? I confirmed with a shudder of nervous... Yeah, what the fuck? So we slowed and pulled off the road at the center fire, bundled up in layers of sweatshirts and coats, and then exited the vehicle, leaving it running. My immediate response was that these fires were a signal that someone was in trouble. A quaint attempt to rationalize three separate, seemingly identical fires in the middle of no man's land. Again, no signs of life other than these flames, no cars, not even tire tracks Mm -hmm. in the thin layer of snow from the evening in either direction. We were alone, surrounded by silence, only to be broken by the faint crackling of small fires and the running car engine. Although it felt like someone or something was there watching us, a fear permeated the air and the cold seeped into our bones despite the heavy layers of clothing we were wearing. Mm-hmm. Inspecting the fires, they were on the smaller scale, five to six split sections of logs all tilted together in a TP-type fashion, mm-hmm. all sprouting a roughly 24-inch flame. All fires were 20 feet apart, evenly spaced, surrounded by untouched snow of about 8 to 10 feet off the roadway. The wood was not burned at the base near the snow. There were no footprints, no tire tracks, or anything leading to or away each site of the fires. We called out to the empty forest surrounding us, which yielded zero response. I called to my friend, I don't feel right about this. We have to leave, and now. Feeling unnerved, without conclusion, we hastily piled into the safety of our running vehicle, making feeble attempts to explain what we had experienced. My friend and I reluctantly concluded that there was no explanation for this, and we both felt the eyes of someone or something watching us. Before proceeding to our planned path, we surveyed a half a mile in each direction, methodically searching for a fellow traveler caught in the frigid cold in need of help Mm -hmm. or something to explain what had just taken place. Once we passed the fires while conducting the search in the opposite direction of our travels, they were all extinguished. Nothing remained but charred sticks of firewood, not completely burned, but dead due to the frigid environment encompassing them. We were silent until we reached Reno, trying to erase the memory of things we cannot explain. We spoke briefly about it once when arriving in Kentucky, but quickly realized it was best to keep quiet to avoid the relentless criticism that would follow. (laughs) Jesanthropus and I don't speak anymore, so I'll keep him out of it. After hearing the Time Suck episode containing Mount Shasta and the strange happenings, I cannot help but dig up this nem- memory. Hail Nimrod. Hail Nimrod. That is, uh, yeah, that's so odd the way that those fires we put in the snow with no tracks around them. So it's like nothing it's hard. Like, they're, they're, I mean, if so, and they, and they seem like when he when he made the detail about like the bottom of the wood isn't burnt. Right. That tells me, okay, it's a fresh fire. Some, exactly. Like, you know, you, you put these little kind of um, lean the, you know, all the sticks and stuff right. together. like Criss you're cross, Yeah, crisscross. Yeah. Yep, like a little teepee formation. Yeah. And then you start the fire. I mean, 
Usually you would kind of start the fire. I mean, I would start the fire from the bottom in a situation like that. But I can see how sometimes just the way that you catch it, it catches the top and burns mm-hmm, down. Mm-hmm. And then if it done that, like done that, like it's yeah, it's it's a newer fire. Mm-hmm. And that yeah, that's really weird. And that area is weird. He brings up the Mount Shasta episode, this National Parks episode. I don't know what it is about like this I five corridor in Northern California. It's between um, like the. Do you remember the town Weed, California? It's kind of a funny little name. Of course, it's we, a funny name. We stopped there for for coffee and stuff when we were heading up another time driving from uh, California up into Oregon. But it's this little <sighs> town. Mean, it, it's ah, yeah. There's Mount Shasta, and then there's like this little town of Weeds, not too far away. And then you go down to like Ukiah, and this whole stretch is littered with like a lot of like new age. I mean, I mean you talk about crystal stuff. Uh, weed is like uh, one of the epicenters, and then the town of Mount Shasta. Are like you that, taking that little me to stretch, the motherland? <laughs> well, that's where the story kind of takes place, and it's just like there's the, all kinds of beliefs and like Lemurians, these creatures that supposedly these aliens that live inside the mountain. Well, yeah, and then like <laughs> Ukiah, if you go down further, that's where the People's Temple cult compound was. That's where um, there was other cults, you know, active in this, and, and just a lot of. It's just an odd. I'm like, I'm like, is there something in the water? It's it's an odd stretch of a lot of very left of center kind of belief system, you know, people and stories like this. Take me to there. <laughs> no, but that that so is strange. a really scary because I remember mm-hmm. when we were driving when we were moving from L.A. to Idaho. Mm-hmm. We were in our little SUV. Uh huh. With the U-Haul mm-hmm. that was dragging on the ground the whole time because they didn't <laughs> install the hitch properly. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so awful. I constantly thought like we were going to. The gonna, chain was, or yeah, we were worried uh, about it breaking off. Yeah, it yep. was terrible. You wouldn't let me drive. Mm-hmm. You drove the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And we drove in like a day and a half. I mean, mm-hmm. it was so crazy. We powered through. Yeah, we only spent one night in a hotel. Mm-hmm. And in it, the middle of the winter. And it, yes, and it was cold and dark. Is mm-hmm. that the time that we started to head up the pass, even though they said it was closed? And you were like, no, it'll be fine. And then we had to turn around and go back. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. I thought there'd be a cutoff where we could avoid where it was closed, and it was it was not. Yep. There was not. And, and, that's when yeah. we, and that's when we got the, and actually, that's when we got the um, hotel in, yeah, in uh, Grants Pass, yeah, and which it, isn't too far from where this happened. Okay, yeah, and the, the forest there is thick and mm-hmm. dense and not just, far from the redwoods there and it's like huge 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 trees i mean mm-hmm. they're so tall mm-hmm. and just so thick i mean if if someone else was on the road you would know someone else was on the road there's mm-hmm. no way to like sneaky pete out into the for, and also like <laughs> yeah. how do you know a car is coming when do you know is like the right moment to go three perfect fires all mm-hmm. equidistant from one another all e- equal uh flame height yeah, it's very, very strange. And very, then, to, very, and then very to like, strange. okay, I mean, which is what I would do too. Like, oh my God, is it a signal? Is somebody okay? Yeah, like, what's yeah. going on? Like, are there multiple people out here? Like, what the fuck is happening? I would drive in both directions just to make sure. And then for them yeah. to just like poof, go out. Yeah, that could be creepy in a variety of ways there because I feel like uh, I'm reluctant to be like the occult or whatever. But there are people into, you know, um, rituals and things. Sure. Not necessarily bad. But, You're not but necessarily going to reach hurt, out and hurt harm you or you. harm yeah. you. But, you know, but then, you know, we told one story. There occasionally is those people who would, mm-hmm. you know, to perform some kind of what they think of as some kind of magic ritual. And it's like, and that is the area of the country where there would be a higher percentage of those people. Yeah, that would, I would, I, w- I wouldn't explore too far. And that's it. Like, especially well, in I that I believe spot. they got out of their fucking cars. Right, right. No yep. way. Yeah. No way. I that's... would be happily roll down the window and scream like a yoo-hoo. <laughs> nope, we're good. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Yep, and then haul ass. Or, or I'd just call the cops. Mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. remember what the cell service is like there. Uh, in 2008, I mean, cell phones. pretty spotty. Well, what? you're on I-5. I don't know. I don't know, but cell phones. Hello, 2008. Why didn't we take pictures? There were cell phones. Mm. The iPhone came out in 2007. Mm-hmm. 
don't know, man. Eek. Eek. Okay, do you want to tell about your Rainbow Room experience? Oh, yeah. Experience? So, just, so just really quick, because I, I think I've talked about this before, but if any new listeners, or it's been a little bit, it was just it was just interesting confirmation. It's not like an intense paranormal experience, but it was my only... It was pretty weird. It, yeah, only experience like this, where Lindsay and then a friend of ours, Joe, the three of us went to the Rainbow Room Tavern on Sunset Strip in LA. Is it called the Rainbow Room Tavern? I think it is actually, but the Rainbow Funny. Room, Rainbow yeah. Room is what it's known as. Uh, but the Rainbow Room, we yeah. went there, and it was you know pretty dead, and uh, it's 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 a place kind of known mostly for uh, Lemmy from Motorhead was like the regular there, and a lot of like you know like um, in the '90s like the Skid Row, Warrant, Motley Crue, mm-hmm. like these kind of bands, it was like their hangout spots. And uh, anyway, went upstairs, dingy little bathroom. It was pretty quiet when I was there, and. Uh, no one else is in there. Go in. I'm using the urinal. There's two urinals in a stall. And all of a sudden, I noticed that the hot water is on full blast. And I just remember thinking it's weird because it was the kind of thing. It wasn't like uh, barely making noise. It was like, you know, full blast water. I definitely – and I noticed it suddenly halfway through my pee essentially and just thought like, why didn't I notice that when I came in? Because mm-hmm. I thought it was something I would have noticed. I go. I think – and I also had a thought of like, man, that's too hot. Like why is it steaming? Why would they let it get that hot? So like, why, <laughs> right. why, don't, why don't they adjust the you know, the water heater mm-hmm. to, so they don't get sued? Have all these thoughts. Shut it off. It sticks with me as I head downstairs and, and then I talk to a waitress walking by. I'm like, hey, I just had something – this place haunted. Have this weird you know, conversation. I'm like – I'm like, I had the weirdest experience upstairs, and that's when I say that, you know, I'm about to say about the water. She cuts me off, and you were there for this, and yeah. she goes, oh, was it the water? Uh-huh. And then I got the chills. I'm like, well, that's weird. And then after we finish eating, Joe, you, and I go up back up to that bathroom, and I try to recreate it and make it hot, and it, just, and it won't. And we get a little tour of the upstairs. Remember, it was just like – it was just mm-hmm. weird because Joe goes there all the time. He showed us the – it's just a creepy little upstairs area. So anyway, I told this story on Jason Ellis recently. And then this Mike Tully uh, co-host on the show, his friend reaches out to him, this writer in L.A., and is like, oh, my God, I had the same thing. Yeah. Him and I talk back and forth, and he said he was in that upstairs area. There's like a small little performance space. Mm-hmm, very small. Very small. And he said he was watching some – he said it was kind of funny. He was watching some hardcore uh, you know, metal band basically play to only the sound engineer <laughs> in this tiny little space. So, there's, so, again, there's not a lot of people around. Right. So he goes into the bathroom and again by himself. Exact same thing happened to him. So weird. Halfway through going to the bathroom, hot water's on and, and, and like too hot, the whole thing. So it's just weird. I mean, how do you well, explain yeah, and, that? And the waitress too, like when we... How, yeah, she said it was so haunted. She said the place was super yeah, she haunted. she had so many stories of like, oh, when I open by myself in mm-hmm. the mornings, like I hear all these sounds or, mm-hmm. you know, like this will open or that'll close. Just like lots of different things. She was supposed to come back and talk to us more, but she got too busy. She got too busy, but then we talked to another waitress there who also shared stories. And I, and I can't remember who said this story, but there was a story of like a customer showing up Basically, like, vanished, like a mysterious customer. Oh, my God. Yeah, they showed up and asked for, like, a gift card or something? Yeah, something weird. And, and there was some... I can't remember the full story now. They came They came to, like, the the hostess desk. Yes. Early yes. in the morning, like, like maybe, yes. like, just a little bit before opening and said something about, like, oh, I want to purchase a gift card or are you guys open yet? Something right, like right, that. Right, I don't right. know why gift card is, like, in my brain. Yeah. And, um... And then she was like, oh, yeah, let me just go get it. Or oh, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Turned around, looked back, and the person vanished. <laughs> like, 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 there wouldn't have been enough time for them to leave, you know, in addition to there not being a reason for them to leave in that moment. Right. And there's just, I guess there's a lot of little stories like that. And that's just one place in many, 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 many places of the world. Right, right, right. And that's your only, mm-hmm, my only thing like that experience. Mm hmm. Okay, okay I'm, on my, I'm on my right butt cheek now. Okay, okay. Well, we're going to wrap this up. Yeah. We're going to get Lindsay off of her, her busted butt. 
And so uh, awful. And please keep sending in the stories. I loved uh, hearing those. Yeah, these know. these ones this week were just both. I I thought great weird occurrences. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're trying to vary things up. So send those into my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. For everything else, info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. That's how you talk to me. That's how you talk to Lindsay. Uh, we love doing this show. We want to keep doing it. And uh, we plan on keeping doing it. Yeah, so please just, again, like keep up mm-hmm. with your ratings and yep. reviews. Because, Tell people. Yeah, I mean, that's how people find the show. It, like mm-hmm. any good restaurant or anything good that you yeah. stumble upon in life, it usually is much better when it comes from a trusted source, which mm-hmm. is, you know, friends, family, Referrals. Yep. And, with the, and I mean. with the nature of the my story, it makes the show. You make the show better because you don't know what stories the people you're going to talk to uh, are going to have that they're going to send oh, in. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. So it keeps branching out, and we just keep getting more and more of these strange stories. Some are spookier than others. Some led more credibility to the whole gamut of the paranormal experience possibilities. Absolutely. Which I really like. Uh, so yeah, we love it. Thanks. So thanks for listening, watching. Uh, Bad Magic Production. Thanks to the team, Logan and Kate. Social media, uh, designing the merch, managing it at badmagicmerch.com. Got those phone cases, new shirt. Joe Paisley, producing and directing. Zach Flannery also now producing and directing many of the shows. Uh, Sophie Evans helping produce. Uh, Thanks to Joe Paisley, Zach Cohen, and Jeffrey Montoya for the sound beds. Heather Rylander for taking over the My Story emails. Follow us on Facebook and IG. Find us. Scared to Death Podcast. And subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you want to watch. And enjoy your nightmares, creeps and peepers. Bye. We'll talk to you in a week. Pray for my butt to heal. Hope you were scared to death. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but has no home here within scared to death.